Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala Sermon Podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. What follows is an audio recording from our Sunday morning worship gathering, and we hope that you will find it encouraging, challenging, and helpful. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. Well, good morning, church. We'll be in John chapter 4 this morning. And I titled the sermon this morning, Spiritual Alchemy. Does anybody have any idea what alchemy is? You do. What is alchemy? Yes, exactly. We're trying to turn lead into gold. Now, Max helped me find a brick outside. Now, this was left back behind the building. Now, if I was a really good alchemist and I could turn this into gold... I think that could buy me a new bike, don't you think, Frank? <laughs> okay, so this brick, if I could turn into gold, which Clinton, the guy I kind of made fun of a little earlier, looked up for me, is currently gold this morning is at $1,340 an ounce. That's a lot of cabbage per ounce, right? If this brick was gold, that'd be a lot of money. And so you can see why people for ages past have been trying to turn material from one thing to another. And I think, do you remember in John chapter 2, what did Jesus do with the molecular structure of water? He turned it into wine. Man, wouldn't that be cool to find some of that today? But he did. He turned something, he did an alchemist's work. So today he's going to do spiritual alchemy. The physical to the spiritual. And it's like we take a brick and we turn it into a bar of gold, which we assign a ton of value, like $1,340 an ounce. God assigns value to people in their spiritual condition. And we're going to find that the Jesus followers see the physical, we see the physical as means of gathering people to Jesus. We're going to see three examples this morning of where Jesus met people physically, really, literally where they were, and transitioned that into a spiritual work. The Samaritan woman is going to literally go from water to worship. The disciples are going to go literally from food, and Jesus will transition that to here is your spiritual work. And then an official will go literally from his kid being on his deathbed to spiritual life. So we'll see three instances this morning of a spiritual alchemy. So if you turn with me to John chapter 4, we'll start in verse 1. Let's read about Sam. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself didn't baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour or noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, would ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? 
for the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that say to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, I have nothing to draw, you, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying you have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, that those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He is who called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us of these things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So Sam is at the well. But Jesus has traveled all day, just like I did with the kids. Imagine getting up early in the morning and you've gone through the heat of the day and you make yourself, make it to the well. Now, when he goes to Samaritan, be like, you know, you can go across to Ocala, but there's that one section of town where nobody goes through after 11 o'clock at night. We don't go there. There are bad people there. Well, Jesus goes right straight through there. Now, it's the shortest distance to get to where he needs to go, but it's through the badlands. It's through the don't go there's. It's through the we don't associate with those people. In fact, the Jews of the day would sometimes completely circumvent, go around the outer bout of Atlanta so you didn't have to go through the heart of it. Anybody gone north and done that? Like every, every normal person? Never through Atlanta in rush hour. Okay, so you're getting to Samaria, but he goes right straight in there, and he stops at this well. Now, the well is popular. It is there today. Yes, and Jacob had given, to, given it to them. And so he sends his disciples off to town to get some food. He's there by himself, and he says, Sam, give me something to drink. And she is the outcast of outcast. Listen to her words. How is it that you, a Jew, would even ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Not only that, get this, it's at noon. She's by the well by herself. Women of the time would go during the early morning to go to the well. Who wants to go to the well at noon? Outside. Not reasonable. 
So she's even an outcast amongst her own outcast people. She shows up there at noon. And then get this, in the day, instead of going down to the Gables or going down to the local pub or going down to the bar to pick up your date, you went to the well. In the morning, Jesus is alone. An outcast of an outcast is there alone, and he talks to her. You talk about blowing up social media. Facebook just exploded. The Jews went, he's talking to a Samaritan. Talking to her alone. The rabbi's like, you never talk to a Samaritan. You're going to be unclean. And you're talking to her at the place where you pick up women alone? Look what Jesus is doing. He's breaking down tons of barriers. And he says, can I have something to drink? And she says, and Jesus said, if you knew who I was, who you're talking to, I'm not only a Jew, I'm the gift of God. Have you ever heard somebody says, well, they think they're the gift of God? Well, Jesus kind of said that about himself. Kind of get away with it when you're Jesus. And he says, if you knew who I was, uh, yes, I am a Jew, but I'm also the gift of God. And if you really knew who I was, you would have asked me for water. And not only that water, but living water. And Sam responds, how in the world are you going to get water? Jesus must have been sitting there without a bucket. Though the well today is 100 feet deep. Has anybody seen a hole 100 feet deep in the earth? Well, I guess you can go to the, the springs around and it's like 30 or 40 you can see down in there. But 100 feet, that's a big, that's a long ways. So here's the Samaritan woman like, you want me? You're talking to me? And Jesus is like, yeah. Hey, uh, if you knew who I was, I'm not just a Jew. I'm the gift of God, and I'll give you living water. And she responds, how are you going to get it? You don't even have a bucket, and it's 100 feet deep. Reasonable response. 100 feet deep, and you're, you're going to get me water? And by the way, where are you going to get this living water? We're here at this world-famous well, and your water's better than this well. And it's been around a long time. And Jesus responds to, hey, you drink that water, you're eventually going to be thirsty again. I know when Frank and I go riding, we fill up our water jugs and we fill up their bladders that go on our back for the camelbacks, and we have to fill about every day. I know we went on one ride and I drank two liters of water. I never thought I would do that. But you've got to refill the thing. Now, if I'm out riding with Frank and we stop at a bench and I'm like, hey, Frank, if you put living water in there, it would be really good for you and it would never go dry. He'd probably go like, you've been smoking. So Jesus says, hey, there is living water I will give to you. And not only that, it will spring up from inside you and never need to be refilled. The logical response, what would you say? I want some. Look what Jesus has done. He's met, he met her in a physical need, a real literal place, literal place where to get water. Strikes up a convo with her who he shouldn't who he's despised and outcast of outcasts, says, hey, you thirsty? Yeah, I'm thirsty. I give you living water. I'm transitioning now to a spiritual idea, and you really know that by this point, the Sam has no clue what she's saying. She's just like, I'll buy some of that. Not only does she want some living, want this water, but look at this. She doesn't want to have to come back to that 100-foot well again. And fill her jugs. We got the luxury of just turning on the tap 
Have you ever been in an ice storm or a hurricane? Or, well, we haven't been in an ice storm in Florida. That was kind of silly. A hurricane where you had to go draw water. And then you're trying to, well, we only got a gallon left. We got to go get more water. Imagine life where you had to go out into this well, go 100 feet down and draw it up every day. You would definitely want the spring in your backyard where you never had to fill it again. Of course she wants it. Jesus has introduced himself and he's introduced who he is just slightly and he's captivated her with this idea of living water. Now Jesus is going to challenge her. Now remember, if you will, turn your Bibles back to chapter 2. Before we get to this, look at chapter 2, verse 24. See, people, remember what Jesus said, hey, he didn't entrust himself to other people. Why? Because he knew what was in them. He knew about them. In verse 25, and he needed no one to bear witness about man for what? He himself knew what was in a person. Basically, Jesus knows everything, and you're God. He's God, and you're not. You have faith in him, he's God, but he knows everything about you. Jesus is God, and he's know, he knows these things. So we go from there. Now, with that idea that he knows, he's going to have a conversation with the lady. Jesus says, hey, Sam, uh, we've had this great conversation. Now go home and get your husband and bring him back. And Sam says, I have no husband. Now, if you didn't know everything, this would be okay, right? I mean, we talk to people all the time. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. What, you really not? Hey, what's going on in your life? Oh, it's pretty good. I'm just a little bit hungry. No, you just wrecked your car. You know, and you just don't want to go into everything, right? So she has a polite response, but put it in the context of she's talking to God who knows everything. When she says, I have no husband, he's like, you're right. You don't. You've had five. In fact, the guy you were with now isn't even your husband. You did tell the truth. Now, here's the thing that strikes me so amazing about Jesus, and I shared this with Bob the other day. Jesus being God. Does anybody get tired of dealing with stupid? Yeah, we do. It's frustrating. So you're Jesus, you know everything, and you're having this conversation, and she says, well, I don't have a husband. Now, if, you, if we were Jesus, we'd have been like, struck her dead. You're lying. Of course you don't have, you've had a bunch. But look how gentle he is. He's crossed social barriers, social barricades, done the improbable, and he knows this lady's life. And he's tender. Very tender. Because how was she supposed to know that he knew? And this is where he works with her so tenderly. She's socially polite, socially reasonable. But remember, you can't get away with that with God. If God says, hey, how you doing? I'm okay. No, you're not. And there's grace waiting for you there. But Jesus isn't done talking to her. And as she was incredibly sold on the idea of thirst-quenching super Gatorade water that never needs its bottle refilled, now she's super impressed by this prophet. 
She calls him a prophet. Sam says, obviously you're a prophet. You know, the idea of a prophet isn't somebody who can tell you whether they're going to be the pick four numbers next Tuesday. A prophet is somebody that has God's eye of the news and says, there's sin in your life, you need to repent, you need to take care of that with God of the universe. They're not liked people. Jeremiah wasn't necessarily elected best of class for most popular. Ezekiel, John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of hand is near. And what did Jesus call him? Prophet. The prophet isn't necessarily, and the idea of modern thinking that you're a prophecy so you can see into the future, they're sin caller outer dudes, sin caller outer ladies. They don't get a whole lot of Hallmark cards. And so she, this guy that she meets goes from living water to a perpetual well, the Gatorade bottle that never empties, and then he calls her on her sin T- gently. And she says, you're a prophet. So she has a logical question. How then do I deal with my sin issue? Does anybody ever been perplexed of why she goes from, you know, you, you're a prophet, and now why are we going to argue about where we're supposed to worship? Why does she transition in the conversation of acknowledging what Jesus said to, hey, you're a Samaritan, I'm a Jew, you guys worship down there, we worship up here. Because worship is defined by how you deal with sin. God has always said to deal with sin, you do it on my way, at my terms. And actually what Jesus said, the salvation comes from the Jews. Where were they supposed to go to deal with their sin? Jerusalem. The Samaritans had built their own little cool little place to hang out and do the Jesus thing without a whole lot of Jesus. They kind of had it jacked up. Modern day church of, hey, we'll love each other, we'll have fun, we'll do a good social club, but we'll never talk about sin and you'll be happy here. It sells the seats. It's been happening since the Jew and the Samaritan. Now get this, where they're sitting at the well, where the Samaritans set up their religious system, and there's a ton in the Old Testament while how this happened, where they sat at the well and had the discussion, they could almost see It'd be reasonable to see that she could say, hey, you called out my sin, I got to deal with it, so do I go to your place or my place? And she could have gone like this or like this. Where? Where do I go? How do I deal with this? And Jesus responds, an hour is coming when neither place is going to be the place to do it. By the way, the temple in a few years later is going to be destroyed by Rome. You're getting this all wrong, he says. To deal with sin and to worship, you're going to have to do so in spirit and truth. Salvation has come through the Jews, which it always has, through the temple, and he's going to transition that that is me. I will bring you your salvation. And God the Father is worships in truth. You cannot pretend to worship God on your own terms without a being truth according to his word and what he said. And Sam says, oh, I know they said there was a Messiah coming and he was going to talk about things like this. She gets the the first transition in the story. We can see Sam starting to flip the switch of, wow, yeah, that's pretty powerful stuff you're saying there, Jew guy. Um, You know, I've been taught in my life that uh, there was a Messiah that was going to come and he'd talk about things like this. 
And Jesus goes, what? I'm your guy. Thirst, water, sin, worship, all around a well, all the way to him revealing that not only is he God, but he's the Messiah, and a short little interchange. Does that teach us about how we interact with people? Meet them where they are physically. Introduce them to Jesus. You do have a sin problem. Here's then how you take care of it. You're going to have to do it in a true manner. You're going to have to do it God's way. And that's, the story is not done. Move to verse 39, chapter 4. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him, and they stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Sam has this incredible conversation with Jesus about what to do with her sin problem. Jesus has tactfully addressed that to her. She leaves her jug at the well. The reason why she was there is left behind. She turns around and runs back into town. And the text and the original thought is, man, this, could this be the Messiah? Maybe, maybe not. And so she tells everybody. There's a guy there that is amazing, and you guys ought to, ought to come out and see him. She gathers. I've had a glimpse, a little glimpse of who Jesus is, and I have to tell others about him. She leaves the well, goes to town, and gathers more people. The people then come, okay, we'll check this out. It made the news. It made Facebook. Instagram was plastered with living water. Gatorade that never runs out. So they, yeah, we'll buy some of that. They come out to the well, see what's going on. They then do what? They listen to Jesus, have an interaction with Jesus. And by the way, Jesus stays with them for how many days? Two days. Meets the outcast of the outcast, who then goes back to the outcast and brings them to Jesus, and he stays with them. That would have been, if the first time Jesus met the Samaritan woman on a Friday, Facebook exploded. Saturday, it's exploding that he's actually staying. To clean this guy, we're going to have to run him through a thousand car washes. He's hung out with the Samaritans. They then believe. And if John is good to articulate to us, why did they believe? Because she is an incredible, good, articulate communicator of living water. No, she primed the pump enough so they said, we want to investigate this for ourselves. And Jesus then meets them where they are, spends two days with them, and what is the result? They believe in him, and look how they label him. How did they label him? Look at the end of verse 50, 42. The Savior of the world. The Samaritans label Jesus the Savior of the world. So the Samaritan woman, Sam, the physical to spiritual, water to worship. Jesus breaks down incredible social barriers and barricades to talk to her. She gets a little glimpse. If you look at her story, you're never ever sure that she fully gets it. 
You're never, you know, there's not enough evidence in the text to say, yeah, she believed Jesus on this day. She just had enough to go share it. Jesus had met her in her world just enough for her to go share that. Just a little nugget. How is it in our lives, with the amount that we have met Jesus, do we spend it on ourselves or do we go, you're not going to believe what has happened in my world, how Jesus has interacted with my world? Are you the outcast of outcasts or are you the coolest kid on the block? Jesus has worked with you in any which way possible that you can go back to your community and say, wow, I got to share this. Meet this guy. The Samaritan woman isn't the great evangelist here. She's just telling them about him and say, you go meet him, go meet him. And they do. Crowds go to meet him. And they're the ones that do on their own, have the opportunity on their own to get to know Jesus in a personal way and make that decision for themselves. Do we then go to our community and say, here's what I know about him. Meet him on your own. Here's the word. We'll study it together and let Jesus do the work. It's a challenge for us. Are we gatherers? because of what we know about Jesus. Now the second part of this morning is disciples. They're going to see the spiritual alchemy too, but theirs is going to be food to work. Pick up with me in verse 31 of chapter 4. <clears throat> now remember that Jesus has sent the disciples to town to go buy food, and so they come back and see Jesus talking to this woman. And I love what they're, they're not all, they're asking each other the same question, but they're not asking Jesus, why is he talking to her? That's kind of crazy. So they build up the gumption and come up to Jesus and says, Teacher, eat. When you said the same thing, you traveled with him all day. You made it there to the lunch break. You're sitting outside your favorite lunch break. Stop. Five Guys Pizza or Five Guys Burgers. Golden Corral or wherever, or super healthy food wherever you eat lunch. And he sends you inside to go get something to eat. And you come back out and you say, hey, he's not eating. What's up? And Jesus meets him there and says, hey, guys, I have food to eat that you don't know about. I love the Bible humor. You can see him whispering to each other. Did somebody bring him something? Who brought him, who brought him, who brought him a snack? And Jesus says, Food is doing my work. Food is my work. My food is doing the Father's will and to accomplish his work. What is the Father's will for Jesus? Come to earth, take on human form, dwell with people, all to die, be buried, raised again. So that's the Father's will. I'm here to do my Father's will, he says, then the work. What was Jesus' job? Make disciples. Accomplish salvation. And then to defeat the enemy. That's what I'm about, boys. You guys went into Walmart to buy lunch. You guys went through the uh, drive-thru to get something for us. And you come back, and I'm going to use this illustration to say, hey, work Spiritual work isn't about food. It's about doing God's will. Your food. I love how he transitions to this. Pick up with me in verse 34. Jesus said to them, my, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? 
Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who weeps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and now you've entered into their labor. So Jesus is talking about food. They say, hey, how come he, who's, who's giving him some food? He's like, uh, my food is to do my Father's will. So he kind of puts that out there. Then he says, hey, guys, here's your food. The spiritual fields, though you look out into a field, they're hungry. So Jesus is going to use, hey, here's a barley field. You want something to eat? Look at that. Here's a harvest field. Now, the time in which he probably said this to them, it probably wasn't ripe. And so he says, hey, the fields are harvested ripe. Doing my work, doing my will is to look and say, hey, the spiritual harvest is ready. Where had Sam just left to go to? So the, Sam left to go to town in Samaria to tell others about Jesus, right? As the, she's going out, the disciples are coming in. Hey, aren't you hungry? You're not eating. Yeah, look, that harvest field is ripe. She went and she gathered. She went and she's going to bring them back. I sent you all to town to get some food and all you were thinking about was your bellies. I met her here about water and I sent her to town and she's bringing a ton of people back. Here comes the harvest. You didn't practice this. You went to town, you went to Walmart <coughs> with your shopping list, <coughs> got two loaves of bread or whatever, and you came back <coughs> not without a single person. It's about people, boys. Doing the work means seeing the harvest field. And by the way, at the end of this discussion, here comes the crowds. Set in its context, the harvest field which Jesus is talking about is none other than the despised Samaritans. Your food, your spiritual people is to gather just like Sam did. Wake up, fellas. I've traveled with you all day to come to this point. I want you to see what I am doing. Look at what Jesus is doing. He's discipling people in the midst of life, actually spending time with one another, got to the point of working with people that got thirsty, to the point which they got hungry. We like to spend 20 minutes. I got 20 minutes for you. He hung out with the disciples long enough for them to see thirst. Okay, fellas, go to town. Living examples, discipling people was life on life with them. Living illustrations. And by the way, here comes a spiritual harvest back. Here comes a Samaritan woman back with all these people. I want you to gather just like she is. How many times have we walked into Walmart and thought about just food or Publix or McDonald's drive through I mean, really, I'll just break it. It's a really easy illustration. Jesus used it, so I can use it, right? Bob, I'm hungry. Go to town and get something to eat. Would you talk to the person about Jesus? No, you only want to something to Now, we're pretty much guilty, because when I get hangry, you know, that's where you get hungry and angry at the same time, because you're really, yeah, I'm really bad about that. Ask my wife. <laughs> Boy, ladies, men, 
fellow followers of Jesus, when we do everyday life, we go to the same Publix, or we, my wife does, I don't shop because it's not my thing. But I, you know, you go to wherever you go, you go to the coffee shop or you go to work, you go to hang out in the same spot. Is you, are you there for you or are you there for others? Is the waitress or the serving staff there just to serve you or do when you, before you pray, say, hey, is there something I can pray with you about? You're there every Friday at five. Make life about seeing the opportunities of transferring the physical to the spiritual. Yeah, I'm here to get some milk, but I'm going to go every Thursday at three or whatever. Just set up a routine and you know the person who stocks that. Just an example. Just turn everyday life into opportunities to see that you're on a spiritual journey to gather people for Jesus. Live life with them. So you've seen this spiritual transformation, the spiritual alchemy of the water to worship, and we've seen food to spiritual work. Now let's move to the official son in verse 46. So he, Jesus, came again to Cana in Galilee where he made the water to wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked him the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. So Jesus now travels out of Samaria and he's going back into uh, Cana where he had transferred the water to wine, done the molecular transformation, and it sets the stage for another spiritual transformation. And you can see the official come up to Jesus and say, hey, my son's dying. We've done with thirst, we've done with hunger, and now we're pretty well heading home, aren't we? Already? We can be pretty thirsty. We can get pretty hungry. But when your kid's sick, your family member's sick, a good friend is sick, and they're on their deathbed, it's a real deal problem. Seeking Jesus for a real deal. I'm not just hungry. I'm not just thirsty. My kid's going to die. So the official seeks him out and says, hey, can you come down? Because where he was, he had to travel to go to do the healing in person. And Jesus, look at what he says. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The you there is plural. So it's like, hey, y'all, unless you see something I do, you won't believe me. Unless I start with something physical in front of you, will you believe me then? He started with the water to spiritual, water physical, bread to work. He looked at him and he says, unless I do something physical, will you believe you're asking for proof. Do I need to prove myself again? It's only the fourth chapter and Jesus is saying this thing. How many times in our life we want to believe if God does X, Y, Z? God's got a pretty amazing account of what he's done over millennia and we want more evidence. 
Or maybe it was 10 years ago. We saw God do some pretty cool stuff, but we wanted, you know, can you, can you prime my pump? I want a better reason to believe you. So you can see Jesus saying that. And what in the world is the response from the official? Sir, please come down before my child dies. Can you hear the heart? He sees the authority, and he's begging Jesus, just take care of my kid. Jesus, and like he met the Samaritan woman, like he dealt with Sam with tenderness, go. Go. Your son will live. I love this. The official believed. The official's faith response is the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Without physical evidence, he met the challenge of Jesus. Jesus met the Samaritan with the little challenge, hey, you got a sin issue we got to take care of. Jesus challenged the official, do I need to prove this to you? Do I need to do another sign? You're right, you're the boss. I deal, when, I deal with authority. I'm an official. If I say do it, they do it. You say you're doing it, I believe you. And I'm walking home. So as he walks home, he believes and he goes on his way. He took God at his word. Do we do that? And what is the definition of faith other than taking God at his word? If God said it is true, then it is true. So he had faith. He believed what Jesus said. And I love the way God works with him. Okay, this was a tough one for you. This is a test. Will you believe me and start heading home? Yeah, I will. Cool. You could see the backstory, which we don't have, but I like to think this way. The angels go, or whoever messenger goes, says, hey, send some servants. Just work the situation so you can send the servants and encourage this guy on his way home. Right? So God encourages this guy by what? On his way home, he's met by servants coming up the other direction. And what do they give him? Verbal confirmation of God saying it's true. God uses somebody else to bolster their faith by words of, hey, it happened, but has the official seen it yet? He's still taking God at his word, and he's taking God at his word as he's working through other people. Whoa, 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 whoa. I like God myself, and I want to read the Bible myself, and I don't need y'all in my life to deal with that. That's personal stuff. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The official says, hey, I'll believe you and I'll walk on. How does God encourage this cat? Other people. Do you mean to tell me that coming to church and dealing with people and doing all that happens to me when you're around people might mean that God's going to encourage you through them? That's why we do church. So the official's on his way down. It happens to work out that they give him the information to encourage his faith, bolster his faith a little bit more. And what happens when he gets home? He believes and he shares. See the faith walk? Literally a faith walk of this dude. Hey, I'm official, Jesus. I trust you. Jesus challenges him. Okay, I'll take it to your word and I'll start walking. On the way home, he gets more evidence verbally communicated to him to encourage him. So what does he get home and do? He shares his faith. Get this. The climax of the story isn't the healing of the son. It isn't the canceled funeral plans. 
This isn't canceling the contract for the professional mourners. And at this time, the household meant all of those who worked for you. It isn't just his family. It's all of his servants, all under his charge. So as we meet Jesus, do we share, take him in as his word? Did he die for you? Is he coming back? Do you trust him? Yeah. Then does that impact your life to go gather others for him? Then as you interact with those others, is the climax of the story about you or is it about Jesus? Do you want to share Jesus so they come to know him and then have a faith experience with him? Look, Sam did it. Jesus told the disciples, you better go do it. And he meets the official. What's the official do? Goes home and tells the other about it. And the entire family, the entire household, everybody under his charge believes. This was the second sign. First one, water to wine. Spiritual, well, that's physical alchemy. Second sign, spiritual alchemy. The result, faith. Household believing. More people to share about Jesus. It's amazing what happens in our lives in a physical realm that we see that give rise to spiritual conversations. God's working at that spiritual level to introduce us into situations that the physical gives us opportunity to share the spiritual. And as we interact with life, look what he did with the official. You get a little bit of information, and God works through it. God works through it and bolsters that faith with using other people and learning about him. So maturity in Jesus for this official looks like what? The healing of his son? The sharing of him to his household. So we've seen the Samaritan woman. Water to worship. Disciples, go and gather, fellas. It's not about food. And literally, for the official, it was deathbed to spiritual life. Can you see why being Jesus followers means using the physical around you every day to gather people to Jesus? Are your doctor's appointments all about you? Or, or going to the shopping mall about you? Literally going to town and getting food just about you? Okay, you want me to repeat? Sorry. <laughs> no. So, to challenge us this week, do we just see the physical for one another? Somebody calls you this week and somebody's in a bad way. Something happened. Maybe God's using that physical for you to introduce where you're at spiritually. I'm not saying all the time. I like this. I want to bring this in because of the Samaritans. Jesus met a Samaritan, an outcast of outcasts. If there's anybody in this room that has a racist idea that there's a people out there that aren't worth Jesus, this is definitely the place to say, no, this isn't true. Would you accept the fact that if you were a Jew and they gathered all, Sam gathered all these Samaritans and they started doing church, would you sit down with them in the same pews, in the same chairs? Because God gets to pick his family, you don't. So, Clinton goes to town, talks to somebody that Jesse don't like. He gets 10 people to come in, and Jesse says, I ain't sitting in church with 10 people. Do you accept those who are gathered 
I want this place. Jesus wants this place. I'm pretty dogmatic about it. Love those who come through the doors and love those whoever they are, wherever they are. In our community, don't forget that Jesus started with the physical. He didn't go to the well and take a track. And hand him a track or take a book of John and hand him the book of John and say, bye. No, he met her where? Physically, right where she was. Don't be afraid of physically meeting somebody's need. You wouldn't believe how much people trust you if you actually worked with them. I got to spend time with Frank working on his car this week. Learned a whole bunch about Frank. He learned something about me too. But actually doing something physical, not, don't over-spiritualize everything on the other hand. Actually meet a physical need with people in your community. Your neighbor's out working on the yard, help them work with the yard. Meet physical needs then to share the spiritual. If you spend all your time working with your neighbor, helping them in the yard, but never talk about Jesus, you kind of miss the point. Well, my neighbor has a beautiful yard, and I helped him. Well, okay. When are you going to talk about Jesus? Uh, no, no, I'm not. No, that's why you're, it's, it's important. Make that the main thing of gathering people to Jesus. Now, go gather. Did, though, look what happened with each one of these groups. The disciples actually had the hardest lesson. Do you notice that? His very own, he sent to town, missed the whole idea. Sam gets it, and the official get it. Stuck in the middle of the passage is, hey, were you here at the missions conference? You know, the fields are harvest ripe. Go get them. No, it's right in the middle of, hey, boys, you missed the point. Go get them. Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala or the sermon you just heard, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org.